Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Polar Opposites. I'm your host, Nams Compendium, and joined with me is my good friend, That Boy Aqua. Hello, welcome back. Feels good to be back. It's been a few days since we recorded the episode with Tony, which was a great time. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it was great. I love having him on. We, as we mentioned in the podcast, did end up talking to Tony nearly every day after recording. Yeah, it just happens all the time. Something I want to bring up that I'm actually really excited because Fall Guys just went free to play and you, me and Tony and a few others have plans to play it tonight and I'm, I've been looking forward to it all day. Oh yeah. I installed it the second I could last night. Like I thought it was going to be on Steam, but apparently um, they took it off of Steam. Yeah, it's an epic ting. Yeah, it's an Epic Games ting now, and um, if you're the kind of person that only wants to stick to Steam, then I guess you might be out of luck, but I I always thought that was weird. Like, taking a game that's already available for purchase off of one platform just to put it up again on another. I bet you Epic Games probably gave them some money for it. That's probably why it went free to play. Well, I think (laughs) this seems to be the new life cycle of games, is that you release a game for money, and then you ride the wave of people buying and playing that game, and then right when the game's about to be like officially dead, you make it free to play, and then it creates another wave that you can ride out until the game reaches its eventual... What I'm really excited for is, despite you, me, and a few other friends talking on very regular occurrences, we actually don't play many games together. Nope. We play Fortnite very rarely, and we don't really play Puyo Puyo Tetris anymore, which saddens me every day. (laughs) And so, and and I think the reason is that Fortnite is so competitive against others that it's hard to play for long periods of time. And Puyo just has this weird effect where all of us get so hyper competitive in that game that it's impossible to not get tilted after an hour. Oh my god, yeah. I'm I'm especially bad with it. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, I get so toxic when I play Puyo. It starts where everyone's really excited to play Puyo, <laughs> and then you lose a game, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I lost, okay, huh, run it back. And then five minutes later, you're like, you son of a bitch! And then an hour later, you're like, I don't even want to fucking play this anymore. What's even worse is that for... It, it's mostly for Tetris specifically, where you feel like your hands are on fire. You're going as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> and you look over the other guy, and in comparison, he just seems slower than you. But that's not the case. Yeah. And it makes you feel <laughs> like, what the fuck? I'm at like my human limit right now, and I can't do it. I also um, I, I want to mention this. <laughs> I haven't lost a game of Puyo Puyo Tetris in a while with you guys. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 because this is what happened. This is, I think this is why we stopped playing. We started playing initially, and at first we started playing Puyo and then Tetris. And normally I'd do good in Puyo, but I'd kind of lose when we play, or sorry, I'd do good in Tetris, but I'd normally lose when we played Puyo. And then we started playing Swap Mode, which for anyone unaware, uh, I don't really want to explain what Puyo Puyo is. Imagine it's like Dr. Mario, but Swap Mode is where you play Tetris for, I think, 30 seconds, and then you play Puyo for 30 seconds, or it might be 15 seconds. It's it's rather quick. And when we started playing Swap, I remember it was kind of mostly you and Tony winning. And then it was so weird, because I feel like one day I, like, stopped thinking, and I opened my third eye, and I just started winning. It was win after win after win after win, and you guys made this joke that I, like, turned on hacks. Yeah, it was like every time you got, like, like every time it would be like sent garbage and it would land in just the right spot where it doesn't cover up Nolan's um, yeah. activation point for his Puyo chain. So we just said, <laughs> oh, Nolan's is fucking hacking again. And I've been on a major streak. Since or he would then. like 
he would clear one thing on the Puyo side, but during swap mode, if you get like a chain or a Tetris during the swap itself, you get a bonus. Yeah. So it looks like you only clear one block or one Puyo, and it sends a bunch of garbage to the opponent. Uh, we would joke around where it's like someone like sends an airstrike to Nolan, as we called it. <laughs> a carpet bomb. A carpet bomb. Because you can get garbage, it just fills the whole plane. He would clear one like block or something, and like double that would get sent back to someone <laughs> else. <laughs> but um, yeah, and that's that's how we started not playing, because we'd play, and within an hour, it's like nobody's won except me, and you and Tony are tilted. I'm I'm having a great time. and the reason i like swap mode is because swap mode is puyo puyo and tetris are two very different games tetris i genuinely and and i could be wrong about this because i'm not like a professional or anything but i'd say i'm i understand both games well enough tetris requires minimal active thinking it's very subconscious and you kind of feel it out if that makes sense like you, you've you said it, Nick. When you play Tetris, you feel like your hands are on fire, and it's this idea of you don't think you feel; you just sort of roll with things, right? Puyo, oh. you kind of have to think farther ahead because it's about chains. With Tetris, if you make a mistake, you can fix it a little bit. In Puyo, if you make a mistake, chances are you're kind of screwed, um, mm-hmm. because in the time that it would take you to fix that mistake, chances are garbage is going to come, make it even worse, and. Yeah, so the reason swap mode is really cool is because you go from feeling and not thinking in Tetris, and then when it swaps to Puyo, you have to completely swap to a different mindset. And it, well, I mean, it genuinely is, but it, it feels so much more like you're playing a completely different game. And yeah. I, I just love it. I wish we played it more. Even just watching um, professional Puyo, like, on its own, you'll oh, yeah. see that players will not detonate their chain until the other person does it themselves. Yeah, because a counterattack will send more garbage their way. Mm-hmm. And they also don't want to run the risk of having their their key get blocked. Yeah. And so all of this is to say that I think Fall Guys will be really fun because it's PvE and it, it feels it's more casual. Mm-hmm. I know there's debates on if Fall Guys, like people who try too hard in Fall Guys, but come on. <laughs> I The only thing that would annoy me in Fall Guys is if somebody's hacking which I know is really bad on PC. And it would also annoy me if somebody was cheating in some way, uh, abusing a glitch or something. But I mean, I don't care if people sweat and fall, guys, because it's just jump and pull. They're, like, how do you sweat with that? Yeah, the only time where like fall, guys, would get annoying for me is I only ever played the game when it first came out. <laughs> and it was the one where it was all those tiles, and some of them, like, almost all of them would disappear except for the ones you had to walk on. Yeah, because that one was just boring. Everyone would just like guinea pig the other person into doing it. Yeah, it, and and it's because the solution to finding the right tile or whatever was very very simple and not uh, engaging. It was sort of a non mini game. I mm-hmm. rarely saw people die on that one. Yeah, and then like if you were like unlucky enough to get pushed off. Yeah, because people could push you off. Yeah. Oh man, I would never want to stream that game. I know I have in the past, but now that now with a my larger platform, I would never want to stream it because I get stream sniped to no end. <laughs> and seeing stream snipers on Fall Guys is so depressing because they can just hold you. They can genuinely just prevent you from winning. It's actually it's pretty hilarious. So I think we kind of talked about news and and how we are, but just for clarification, Nick, how are you? I'm doing great. 
today. Oh, yeah. Tell us why. I forgot. Today is a very good day. For those who watched the last episode where we talked with Tony for you, we very briefly mentioned the YouTube Studio homepage and how it tells you in your last 10 videos where it ranks in terms of views. So yesterday, I put out a video. I put out my Persona Q2 video. I mentioned it a couple times. I finally mm-hmm. got it done, and I put it out. I was expecting it to do pretty average. We said 5 out of 10 when we yeah. talked the night before you put it out. Yeah, the night before I put it out, Nolan said, let's set some expectations. What do you think it's going to be? I said, it's going to be about a 5 out of 10, I bet. I put it out, and within the first hour, it says it's a 2 out of 10, and that is great. That is a fantastic performing video. Oh, yeah. That means out of the last 10 I did, it was the second best. And overnight, and now, it has jumped from a 2 out of 10 to a 1 out of 10. So it is my best performing video out of the last 10 in one day and 50 minutes. And like we said, your mood is dictated by whatever that number says, so I'm in a good mood. Absolutely. My mood is mid, because uh, I have the green neutral uh, check mark on my YouTube studio. Mm-hmm. Which is very surprising because it, it's on my Black Flag video, which has been so highly requested. And so, the uh, honestly, the idea that it's not a 1 out of 10 is shocking. And uh, what further shocks me is that it's being beaten out by uh, Uncharted Golden Abyss, a PS Vita game, and Batman Begins, a PS2 game. So I'm not sure how that came to be, but here we are. Uh, (laughs) at least the video has a higher click-through rate than usual and a higher uh, average watch time than usual so I think it's just a matter of YouTube not recommending it enough or hopefully it's going to be one of those slow burns it seems that my videos are kind of like that a lot lately where they don't get a ton of views in the first few weeks but over time they consistently get a certain amount and they eventually climb the ranks Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm yeah so I'm, I'm feeling mid actually I was just talking to you Nick about I'm working on some papers right now for school. So truthfully, my mood is kind of shit when it comes to academia. But anything outside of that, very, very mid, decent. Oh, Mm -hmm. actually, I had a really, I kind of want to share this. Um, We mentioned last episode when we talked to Tony that it's really hard to make friends on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But one friend I was able to make friends with over the last little bit was a a Pokemon YouTuber named Blue Boy Finn. And we've played many games of Fortnite together. We've shot the shit many times and he actually came to vancouver yesterday or he was there for the weekend or something like that and we ended up getting lunch together and that was really cool we just kind of sat down we were talking about videos youtube um games and whatnot he didn't know how uh restaurants worked in canada because he was telling me in america you just give your credit card to the waitress or waiter that sounds awful. Yeah, they just take it and, and you say, oh yeah, do 15% tip and they That's, do it for what you. What the fuck? And so our waitress comes up and she hands him the machine and he's like, what? It's <laughs> like, oh yeah, when you're here, you pay. <laughs> it was wild. And so it was it was really cool. And he, he would tell me stories where he said that a car was going 60 miles per hour and I'm trying to do the mental math in my head. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so there was a bit of a, uh, a barrier, but it was it was really cool. And and it was it was just surreal, honestly, because not only is that the first time I've ever met a uh, YouTuber in person, uh, but it's also the first time I've ever met somebody online in person. Mm-hmm. And so it was uh, pretty pretty neat. Uh, I did get lost on the way home because we say that we live in Vancouver, but we don't actually live in in Vancouver. It's like we're just kind of around the area. So I it took me took me a solid two and a half hours to to get home. 
but it was it was worth it it was fun i i that's kind of all that's been new with me lately i've just been working on videos again i want to congratulate myself because uh, our fifth episode with tony for you was the first episode in which i did not mention tomb raider and i know that i've now avoided this episode in in that i mentioned it but i'm still proud but let's talk about a more uh actually we're gonna talk about some news is there any news you want to talk about nick no well i got something i want to talk about the six-year supervillain revenge arc oh yes spider-man lotus <laughs> oh this was crazy I'm so happy you told me about this yesterday because I went on a huge, like, rabbit hole, like, journey. And it's so funny. It is the funniest story. But, like, the backbone of it is really terrible. Yeah. So why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us what exactly happened? So there's this, uh, Spider-Man fan film called Spider-Man Lotus. And... It's been in development for a long time. I remember I saw the trailer in, uh, I think it was first started development in 2016. And I remember hearing about it, I think, in 2019. So I wasn't there from the start, but I'd, I'd heard of it. And I didn't really follow it either, because I'm not going to lie to you. I see fan film, and I immediately write it off. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And to put things into um, perspective real quick, it, so, it makes it, so people understand why we're talking about this. Um, in terms of this Spider-Man fandom, they were very much looking forward to this. The trailer on the guy's YouTube channel has 1.7 million views. Yeah, and, and it and it received over $100,000 in crowdfunding. Yeah, and Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, amazing Spider-Man actor Andrew Garfield, also Social Network, which is a great movie you should all watch. Yep. He was, he was impressed by the movie. Director John Watts of Spider-Man Homecoming, like the Homecoming trilogy fame, thought the movie looked great. Yeah, like this was a big deal. Like this is a huge deal, especially for like an indie film. But, uh, as we're going <laughs> to find out real quick. To sum it up in a tweet that I saw, the gang gets racist. <laughs> the gang gets racist. Actually, so there were a few red flags. Well, I, I say red flags, but there were a few bumps along the road. The first was that, Despite receiving praise from people like Andrew Garfield and uh, uh, was it John Favreau? Uh, John Watts. John Watts. It it seemed that the director of this movie was sort of getting on his high horse almost immediately uh, where he said that fans should be grateful to him because they're going to finally get a good Spider-Man movie um, or another good Spider-Man movie or something like that. And it was this very self-righteous idea of himself that he was the savior to the (laughs) Spider-Man community. (laughs) You know, and I get it. You know, a lot of people believe that, well, you see the phrase hire fans all the time. And I'll tell you why that doesn't work. Because <laughs> this guy didn't pay storyboard artists. So get get, get this. He has $100,000 to spend on this film. And he did not pay the storyboard artists. And there were, okay, so he didn't pay the storyboard artists and people got mad at him and then he apologized. And then some DMs leaked where he basically said, oh, they're stupid for thinking that. Uh, they're, they're stupid. It's a fan film. I'm giving them a, the best Spider-Man film they've seen in years. So shut, shut up basically. Despite receiving a $100,000 budget. Yeah. And granted, I understand that in Hollywood, a hundred thousand dollars is not a lot, but it's enough to pay at least something to these people. It's nothing for a blockbuster, but in just film production, your budget should be going to the people working on said film. Yeah. And that's the other thing. People are saying that this guy probably pocketed a lot of the budget, and I I buy that. But something that I don't buy is that people have claimed that this guy overworked his VFX team. 
and it was because they had a specific deadline that was set. And one of the VFX uh, members had who had previously worked on the film had stepped out and said that the trailer, there was an issue with the trailer or something like that, but it was not the director's fault. The director did not explicitly say, I need you to crunch. It was more the VFX team was like, okay, yeah, we need to we need to get this done. And it was sort of everyone scrambling. So it wasn't a that I know wasn't malicious. It was just poor managing. And it's a fan film. So you can kind of expect something like that. If that is the case and it Mm -hmm. wasn't a malicious intent, then it is a bit more understandable. Yeah. Compared to, oh, Marvel Studios wants this shot done by this time. Go, go, go. You also have like 30 more to do like whatever um, studio was doing the VFX for, let's say, Far From Home or like No Way Home. Uh, But then someone did some digging about the main actor that they hired to play Spider-Man. And this actor, I guess it had a very racist past and a very recent racist past because truthfully, I believe that somebody should not be uh, somebody should not be. I, I hate saying the word, but canceled over something bad that they said like 10 years ago. Because I think 10 years is a lot of time for people to learn and grow. I even think like two years is enough time to learn and grow. But this was like within months of like within recent months. And so it was clear that there was uh, not much of a uh, a change that was going to occur or that did occur. And the director came out and said, we detest this kind of behavior. Slap on the wrist said, no, bad. Then... Some DMs got leaked of the director who was saying, I think, uh, said something about Mexicans. Definitely said the N-word on multiple occasions. Said some very racist things about Asian people as well. Yeah. He said the R-word. So he's got black people, Asian people, Mexican people, disabled people. So he, he's really hitting all the targets here. I'm sure there's probably something against the LGBT. Uh, Definitely. Ba- basically just... Awful things. And again, very recent awful things, uh, along with stuff from years prior as well. And it was also within these DMs that these leaked DMs that we saw that people were upset or, or that he was upset that people were mad about him not paying the storyboard artist. And he just sort of thought, uh, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Eat shit. Die. And here's what's funny, though. All of these leaks came from the same source. And it was a kid who, when the film was first being started in 2016, was nine years old and was talking with the director and really wanted to help out on the film. Once the director got a bunch of funding, got a bit of an ego, he decided to leave the kid in the dust, and the kid was really, really heartbroken about it. And then what happened was this kid just started collecting evidence, started doing some digging. And next thing you know, now he's 15, and he just releases all of this into the wild, and... The film is, I think this is possibly the most publicity the film has seen ever. <laughs> and it is all because of this nine-year-old's six-year revenge arc. <laughs> and the best part is, his account on Twitter is just a picture of reverse Flash. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it really is like the supervillain origin story. It is, and and his, this Spider-Man Lotus project feels like like I'm I feel like I'm seeing it crumble apart live, and it's so good. That this all came out I think a day or two ago, and yeah. ever since then there's been so many like memes and just like <laughs> discussions yeah. surrounding how bad it's been. At this point, if you try looking up Spider-Man Lotus on YouTube, YouTube will auto-correct it to say Spider-Man Lotus racist controversy. <laughs> it's just... 
oh the only downside is there are a lot of people who have put their heart and soul into this project and and again the film doesn't look that bad like it looks pretty good and i think you know this is one of those things where you can't really credit yourself on there even if you aren't a racist or even if you aren't somebody who did something bad say you just helped out with the vfx your your name's attached to that and you could be completely blackballed by something like this and i i think this leads into a rabbit hole of cancel culture which i really don't want to get into Mm -hmm. but i to give a very light uh stance on it i think if somebody is you know racist homophobic or whatever currently and you choose to get upset at them over that i think that's fine going back like 10 years ago when a creator or a director or something like that was you know 12 years old saying some like horrendous shit on you know online or whatever I think that is not something I, I, I support just because there's ample time. There's an ample time frame for someone to change. Um, I don't talk about this much, but Nick, you know, like when I was younger, like even like up to like 19, I used to be, I used to say like horrible stuff. And it was just because I grew up thinking that being edgy was cool. And I was unfortunately just ignorant and uneducated. It's also a very toxic point uh, in the internet in general. Yeah. Where, like, that kind of stuff was funny, like, to a lot of people. And yeah. it's definitely not. I know I, I said some stuff I shouldn't have, but I was also, like, a teenager, so I was easily influenced and shit. Yeah, and I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, you can't get mad at me because I didn't know any better. But I think the thing that a lot of people on online are looking for is they're looking for an apology or something like that. They're looking for you to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. I'll try and do better. And I think that's bullshit because in the last three-ish years, I have taken many steps to educate myself on why the things I said were wrong. I've had great conversations with people and about like why certain mindsets were like, I thought saying the R word was okay. Cause I was like, oh, well, I'm not using it against disabled people, but I realized that that's completely wrong because it adds to, cause it is, it's, it's a derogatory term mm-hmm. and it, and it's hurtful to, to those people, even if it's not directed at them it's sort of like they get hit with collateral and i think educating yourself is far more valuable and actually doing better is far more valuable than just being like oh i'm sorry Mm -hmm. and so i think that's what people should strive for when it comes to calling people out on their shitty behavior rather than striving to receive a fucking screenshot in the apple notes app (laughs) that just says like oops my bad won't do it again (laughs) please go back to giving me money but yeah, I don't really want to jump into that rabbit hole because that could be an episode in itself. Uh, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm in agreement with what you said. I don't think, like, especially if the person was, like, really young. Like, yeah. when I say young, I'm talking before the age of 18. Because once you're an adult, you kind of, I think you lose all semblance of, I want to say... Innocence? Innocence, thank you. Like you. Like, you're not ignorant towards that stuff. And I know you said you were doing it up till 19, and I'm not, like, blasting you for it specifically, but that still is, like, a, a, you are making improvements. You've, you've definitely improved. You're not you're not a toxic person at all. I think I've definitely educated myself. And, and yeah, I agree with you, and I think that at 19, I should have known better. Yeah. I didn't, but I, I do now, and that's sort of, like, the best you can do moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know, I kind of... I don't want to seem flippant about it, but it but it kind of is what it is. Like you're you're doing better now. That's the best you can do. So, whatever, mm-hmm. you, you you do what you can. So let's transition to another thing we used to do when we were children, 
is playing a little series called Pokemon, or as I'll be calling it, Pokemon. I'm not saying the fucking accent the whole episode, okay? Actually, first question, Nick, do you say the accent? Nope. I always, I've always, for my whole life, have called it Pokemon. So you say Pokemon? Yeah, Pokemon. That's how I've always said it. Because uh, when I was younger, this is actually my first exposure to the series, Ooh. was the Pokemon anime from the 90s, because I owned a VHS tape of the... I believe the first series was called Indigo League. I think so. And I remember the episode specifically. It was it was a couple episodes, actually, because it was a VHS. There was the episode where Ash got the last badge in that league before going to the Elite Four. And there was also an episode involving Mr. Mime. But in that show, in that original English dub, they didn't use the accent at all. At least some characters didn't. Mm. So they would always call it Pokemon. I feel like an idiot, because I call it Pokemon. And that's like... <laughs> double incorrect way of saying it <laughs> but i think it's just one of those as i get older i don't care yeah uh but my first introduction to pokemon was uh funny enough at the playground more or less at school now i wasn't much of a gamer growing up and i grew up very sheltered i went to a christian private school where i i don't know i just kind of played sports learned about jesus everything was chill and then there was this kid in my class named alex and Alex brought his Nintendo DS to the school. And I had a Nintendo DS, but, you know, I just played Spider-Man. In fact, I think one of my first games for the DS was Ultimate Spider-Man. And he he was playing this game like, oh, what's that? He said, oh, this is Pokemon. You ever played it? I was like, no. And he said, yeah, well, this is Pokemon Diamond. If you buy it, you can play it with me. Like, really? <laughs> Great. And so after school, I'm like, mama, 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 please, 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 give me Pokemon. <laughs> Just like screaming at her, saying, please get me Pokemon. And so she took me to EB Games, and I did not get Pokemon Diamond because the cashier was saying, or the whoever was working the till said, oh, well, you should get Pokemon Platinum because Platinum is compatible with Diamond, but it has a few changes that make the game better. And so my mom was like, okay, they're the same price, whatever, we'll get Pokemon Platinum. And so I get home and my world was changed. What it, it was that was my introduction. And I cannot believe how lucky I am to say that my first Pokemon game was Pokemon Platinum, which I think is in many people's eyes it's got to be one of the top 3. Mhm. Mm and yeah, that was my that was my introduction. And and I mean this kind of leads into our next topic was, you know, what sort of drew you in about Pokemon for me? It was just I wanted to play with my friend and I saw he had a fire monkey that threw fireballs and I was, and I thought that was really cool. What about you? Honestly, that's the exact same reason why I started playing the games. Cause when I first got introduced to Pokemon, I didn't know it was a game first. I just thought it was a show. Mm. And my first exposure to it as a video game was one of my best friends, uh, Cameron. He owned Pokemon fire red on his game boy advance. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Because you could get so many different creatures on your team, build like build your team any way you wanted. <laughs> and they all looked cool. They all looked like either cute, <laughs> cool, badass, whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I was like, man, I really want that. But I never ended up getting my own copy of a Pokemon game until uh, Platinum, Ooh. like many years later. And funny story about the copy of Platinum I got. I actually bought it in the U.S. 
because I was on vacation there with my parents at the time, and they said I could get a game. And I was like, I want this one. Very nice. Good choice. Yeah, so I got that. And <laughs> on the way home, I put the game in my DS, but my DS was like almost set of battery, so I didn't even get to play it. Oh. I had to wait till I got home. Did you do the thing where you just stare at the case yeah. on the way home? <laughs> just yeah, hype yourself the case up. in the back of the box. Imagine what it's like. That's the only thing I guess I don't, uh, you don't get with digital. Because I buy everything digital now. I'm a big digital Andy. I haven't mm-hmm. bought a physical game in, God, probably since like 2018. Like a long time. Yeah. But I, I, it's been so long since I've experienced grabbing a game and like just looking at the package. Which I think is just, I don't know, it's like kind of a childlike wonder thing you sort of lose over time. What I think is funny about what you said earlier is that there's so many different combinations and different monsters for you to use. And that's really cool. Except on my first playthrough, I used Infernape exclusively throughout the entire game. Same. Because I just didn't care. I was like, this is my guy. That's my best friend. And he's coming straight with me to the top. Exactly. It's like, you want to use your starter. Like, that guy's only the whole yeah. time. And you only catch some guys on, like, the first couple routes, and you just don't do it ever again. I think I caught a, a, a Bidoof because I needed a HM slave, more or less. I didn't know that that's what they were called at the time, but <laughs> I just knew I needed this kind of Pokemon. Because, again, I had this friend, Alex, who was so into it. And it was really cool because for about a month or so, I'd play Pokemon when I got home. I'd come to school the next day, and we would tell each other about what we did. Because you couldn't bring your console to, to school every day. Especially because this was still during the time where, again, this was a Christian private school. Pokemon was seen as kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there was a time, this was more so in the 90s, but there was still some residual from that time period where Pokemon was seen as, like, this, like, almost Satanist thing. And yeah. it was just seen as, like, unholy, like, you know, don't play Pokemon, it's bad. And I think that might have been why I never really, you know, knew much of it growing up. But yeah, we'd get to school and I'd say, yeah, I need a Pokemon that can use Rock Blast. And he's like, oh, get a Pokemon called Bidoof. You can find it in the first route right next to Professor Rowan's lab. And I was like, oh, great. And so I went there and caught it. And he was on my team. But again, I never used him because I focused on Infernape. And I didn't realize how levels worked. And I didn't know how super effective stuff worked. Like I literally, I use Flame Wheel on everything. And Mm. it was more of a, I'd be like, okay. On this Pokemon, Flame Wheel doesn't do anything good. But if I use Close Combat, then it works better. Very nice. And that was it. That was the most thought I put into it. And I don't remember what the fuck I was talking about. Yeah, that was it. No, yeah. That, <laughs> I just used Infernape. <laughs> it's funny that you mention um, HM Slaves. Because I remember, you're going to hate me for this. Uh, when I first finished the game... And I was just sort of wandering around. Because that's what you did as a kid. Like, you always thought that games had more to them. Like, after you finished them. Like, you just walk around and try to find things. And you would spend hours doing it. And I remember, I got really lazy as a kid. Because my Bidoof was, once again, the uh, the HM slave. But there was this one time where I forgot to take him out of my box. And I wanted to go somewhere. And instead of just going to get him and then going back to where I was... I saw that my uh, my Infernape could use uh, Rock Smash. Yeah. Huh. Let me just uh, teach him that. Oh, oh, I gotta go up this wall? Maybe toss on a little rock climb action too? Oh, yeah. And it got to the point where all of his moves were just <laughs> HM moves. I had two HM moves on mine, and one uh, the, only t- the only actual moves I had was Flame Wheel and Close Combat. So, 
What do you think makes Pokemon inherently special? I think it's just the amount of um, different ways you can play it, to be honest. You know what I think it is? I think it is because it just has this inherent childlike wonder to it. And it almost feels like you're playing an extended special episode of a Saturday morning cartoon. And I know that's something that people criticize Pokemon of today, is that they say the story is boring or bland. But I think as a kid, that's what I liked so much about it, is that there wasn't anything major. Like, for example, I would play games as a kid like Spider-Man 2, and I wouldn't really know what was going on. I just knew that, like, okay, I'm fighting Mysterio now. Mm -hmm. But in Pokemon, it felt so approachable. And it felt like I'm just a kid going on an adventure. And again, when I grew up, I was so sheltered. I wasn't, this is, this is embarrassing as hell, okay? I was not allowed to cross a busy street outside my house until I was 18. <laughs> like, the, the, like, so having a game where I could go on an adventure, go where I want and have some sort of independence, I was right up my alley. And... I think that, and nowadays, what makes Pokemon special is just nostalgia, as, as much as I hate to say it. And that's not to say that I don't think there's anything good about Pokemon, but that's sort of what makes it special to me right now, is that I have so many fond memories of playing the games that I just sort of, playing a Pokemon game, even if it's a new one, that I'm like Sword and Shield or something like that, even though I, I think the criticisms against those games are perfectly valid, it just feels like you're being, you're, you're home again, you know what I mean? It feels like mm -hmm. you're, you're being a kid again. And I think that's what makes it special to me. Uh, so Nick, you're you're a big you're a big fan of the old uh, RPGs, JRPGs, more accurately. Oh, yeah. and by the way, something that I thought was cool about Pokemon is that it also had a TV show. And the first season I watched was the Platinum series, and I didn't watch much else of it growing up, but I thought it was cool regardless. I I think the reason I didn't like Platinum growing up was that I played as Lucas when I first played the game. And he wasn't in the show that much. Like, no. Ash was the main character. And I was like, oh, well, I don't really care about Ash. And I don't care about Pikachu. I want to see Infernape and all that stuff. But I, I, I think that was just a, like, that's just a me problem. That is something that the shows do. They they just make Ash the uh, the, the stand-in for the male character. Yeah. And all the all of his companions is usually the female trainer, mm -hmm. along with, like, one or two other people. And don't get me wrong. I love Dawn. But I, I want both of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Going back to what I was asking, Nick, how do you think Pokemon stacks up against other JRPGs like SMT? Because you often hmm. see people compare... Well, I haven't seen it with uh, SMT as much, but I see people compare Persona to Pokemon quite a bit. Mm-hmm. This is... Um, this, I think this question can go beyond just uh, Megaten and to just other RPGs in general. Yeah, I just figured I'd ask Megaten because I know you're, you're quite familiar with that series. Yeah. You should start a YouTube channel where you review those kinds of games, honestly. Maybe. Maybe I'm too busy to talk about Pokemon. Facts. I think that Pokemon, the best part probably about it is that it's an RPG anyone can play. Mm -hmm. It is super easy to understand. It is by far, I would say it is the most popular video game ever made because it has made so much money. There's so much merchandise surrounding it. Oh yeah. Everyone knows who Pikachu is. Everyone. It's definitely one of the biggest intellectual properties, if not the biggest. It might be I believe it biggest. is uh, next to Hello Kitty. Which is wild. <laughs> Which uh, you wouldn't think it is, but apparently Hello Kitty is one of the most popular things ever created. Hello Kitty would not be in the first 100 guesses that I'd throw out there. Yeah, you'd think something like Star Wars or yeah. uh, like Marvel Comics. Yeah. Or I think something like Coke. Beepus. Well, anyways, you, you look at Pokemon... 
and you compare it to something like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, SMT, Persona, and while Pokemon has that benefit of being easy to understand for anyone, they can just pick up and play it whenever they want, I don't think it's that interesting, especially when compared to those other games. And I could argue, personally, that if you haven't played an RPG before, you can still play something like Final Fantasy VII Mm -hmm. and have a more fulfilling experience than playing at least modern Pokemon at this point. Mm. That's interesting. It's hard for me to comment on it just because Pokemon was my entry. It was my entry, too. And I haven't played a ton of other RPGs, but... I do know that for the likes of SMT and Persona, it seems like, one, the stories are far more in-depth, and it seems like there is more to do outside of battling. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is less true for SMT, but, you know, in, in Persona, you have social links, you have overarching stories, you have little side quests that you can do. SMT, you have, like, a fair number of side quests, and you have characters that you can kind of talk to there's secrets there's multiple endings in smt and Mm -hmm. there's sort of these greater philosophies and ideologies presented and even if i think of other rpgs i've played like actually no for jrpgs that's roughly it i've mostly played the the western stuff but yeah what i'm trying to say is a lot of rpgs aren't purely carried by their gameplay but pokemon largely is it well actually it's largely carried by its gameplay and its world Because I think while Pokemon has never been great for storytelling, for world building, it's been really cool. Anyways, let's talk about the Pokemon Generations, all right? Because I genuinely think this will be the meat of the episode, uh, or it might not be. And I genuinely think that if this goes on for way too long, we could make this like a (laughs) two-parter. I don't think it's going to go on forever. Oh, we'll see. Let's talk about the first generation. Nick, what are your thoughts on the first generation? I know that neither of us really got into it until Gen 4, but... Uh, retrospectively, you can take a look at the first generation. So what are your thoughts? Uh, old, janky, uh, barely works. Unbalanced. But it is very charming. There's a, there's a sense of purity to it all that really gives it a nice quality. I agree. I remember so many of the old school Pokemon. They're like instantly recognizable to me. Like show me a picture of a Pokemon that's from generation one. And, I'll, and I can tell you that it's from Generation 1. Like, it's very easily to tell. Yeah. Because there's a certain, like, simplicity in their design. Like, fucking Geodude is just a rock with arms. <laughs> and his in-game sprite does not look like that at all. He just looks like a floating clay man. And, like... <laughs> just wait for... Wait, 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 wait. You know, what, you know what's crazy? What? Like, fucking Geo, right? Like, uh-huh. geology. The Earth. Dude, he's a little rock dude. Yeah. He's just a little rock guy. I just got that. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Fucking, he's a rock dude. Oh my god. This is like the the perfect example of today I learned. Anyways, I, I agree. I think the first generation is good. It's classic. It is simplistic in in a way because, you know, it's all black and white and... I think its simplicity prevented the region, Kanto, from being fully realized. And I only say that because Fire Red is such a wild improvement. And we'll talk about that later when we get to Generation 3. But I was just about to ask if you want to talk about Fire Red or wait till uh, Gen 3. We will wait until Gen 3. Because I think that's what sort of defines generations for me. Do you think that uh, Gold and Silver, we should wait for Gen 4? Talk about Heartgold? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, And so, speaking of Gold and Silver... We're, we're moving on to that, which is very much the same 
I find I don't know as much about gold and silver as I do uh, red and green. Or, sorry, red and blue. But I mean, you're technically right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, and we can't forget Pokemon Yellow. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, Yellow was great. That was Gen 1, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was Gen 1. That was released after the anime came out because... That one is so cool. They they give you a Pikachu at the start, like it's like it's the anime, but you can still get the three other starters on your team. Yeah, I like that a lot. That is cool as hell, and I want them to do that again. Well, I mean, they kind of do that, you know, during during the the Let's Go remake, they sort of do that. But we'll 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 get to that when we get to that. But yeah, Gen Two uh, also did a great job at world building and had a it was very it wasn't as charming as gen one i don't think Mm -hmm. but i wonder if that is because gen one's the first you never forget the first one and honestly when people think of gen one a majority of people if they're going to replay red they're going to replay fire red yeah so the only thing that makes gen one worth playing is because it's the first gen two is so much better in the remake in almost every way and it isn't the first. I feel like you don't have any reason to go back to Gen 2. But maybe that's a hot take. Uh, the only one I could think of is, uh, I guess, game speed. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I think uh, OG Gen 2 is way too easy. Really? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Because, I mean, Gen 1, you had, like, sidekicks that were broken. Yeah. But yeah. that was, like, one type. Gen 2, yeah. you just... It was heavily stacked in your favor. Like, you did a lot of damage. And I think we also have to congratulate the ambition of Gen 2. Yes. Because not only, for those who don't know, could you explore the brand new Johto region, which had a full game worth of gameplay to itself, you could explore the Kanto region that was right next to it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of post-game is was, I think, at the time pretty unprecedented. Like, that is wild to me. And you could fight these trainers... Or these gym gym leaders that were older or flat out different. I mean, your rival from the first game now runs the eighth gym that Giovanni once headed. I just think that's so ambitious, honestly. I also really like how it's contextualized. Yeah. Because at the end of the Johto League, you go back to Kanto because that's where the Elite Four is. But after that, you, you can go back to that place and just go anywhere you want from there. Yeah, like there's no... That's just... Oh, thinking about... And the fact that this game is so old and yet there's that much content and it's meaningful content too. Mm-hmm. It is meaningful. And yeah, okay, I, sure. It doesn't have the same story as as Johto. And yes, it is post-game. But as far as post-games go, it does not get better than gold and silver. And we cannot forget oh, that final battle on top of Mount Silver. Wow. I mean, look, I never experienced it in the second generation, but... I, I couldn't imagine how amazing that was to play mm-hmm. that. Truly, truly a, a great game, I think. I think Gen 2 is great. I, I know that it sounds like we maybe don't like it because we say that if you're going to play it, play the remake. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just, I, I just think it's a better version of it. Yeah, it's just the remake is, it seems like Gen 2 was, it was very ambitious and really good. But like the first generation, it couldn't be fully realized because of hardware limitations. But the remakes for both... uh gen 1 and 2 feel like they're fully realized feel like they this is what it was meant to be and you could argue like oh they're meant to be full 3d games or whatever but you know what i mean like they have color they have more detail 
they have certain balance changes that make them better. It, it just it's it's overall a greater experience. And we can talk about that fire red and leaf green remake now because we're we're moving on to Gen three. What do you think about Gen three? Hmm. Okay, this might be a bit of a bit of a hot one. I don't really like uh, Gen three that much aside from the remakes. Same. I too think much that water. The, the main uh, campaign, I guess, like Emerald Ruby Sapphire. I've only played Emerald out of all Same. those. I don't think the game is properly balanced around certain starters. I think Mudkip is objectively the best starter in that game. He's good against most gyms, and he nulls a lot of the shit that would be his drawback. Yeah, like nulling electricity is huge. He's a water ground type. He just gets rid of one of his weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But I will say that up to this point, I think Gen 3 is some of the best starters really like what's the fucking grass guy is it trico yeah and what's his final thing it's like septile septile i think septile is such a cool design same with trico in fact i have my girlfriend melanie went to new york and she went to a nintendo like store like nintendo new york or whatever mm -hmm. and she bought me a little uh trico plushie that is uh in my room somewhere i love trico I also like Torchic a lot, and Torchic is important because it started a very tired trend of fire and fighting types. <laughs> very, very good. Um, yeah, I agree. I actually found, the, and, and I'm going to get shit for this. I found Gen 3 boring. I found the story for Emerald boring, and I never finished Emerald until the remake. I played uh, Omega Ruby and loved it, but for some reason, just couldn't get into regular Emerald. And I, I think not enjoying Emerald that much is probably my hottest Pokemon take mm -hmm. or one of them. And I don't think it's bad. It was just I was just bored. You know, I played it for the first time in high school. I think I was 15. And maybe it's because I played it hot off the trails of Gen 4. Uh, but I or no, I played it right after I played Fire Red for however it was like the 10th time or something like that. And yeah, I just wasn't really wasn't really into it. But Fire Red was great. Absolutely fantastic. So much so that I think it's one of the games I've played the most. And I think it's probably some variation of Red is what everyone's played the most just because you have Red, Fire Red, and Let's Go. Yeah. So there's there's been quite a few Kanto remakes. And if you count Gen 2 and the Gen 4 Johto games, then a lot of people have visited Kanto. And that's probably why it's so iconic. It's just because you've been there so much. Mm-hmm. But I, I do remember Fire Red just being overall a great experience, a great entry point. It feels nostalgic, even though I didn't play it until later. And yeah, I like it a lot. Something that I'm not really huge into for Gen 3, just as a whole, I don't really like the uh, its art style all too much. Yeah. I think the sprites don't look that good compared to other Game Boy Advance games. I don't like the I don't I don't like the instrumentation for the songs. Everyone makes fun of the uh what what's that region called? Hoenn. Like the Hoenn horns, yeah. I disagree with that. I didn't mind the music at all. I don't know. I, I don't really I'm not into the sound font they used. Wait, are we finally disagreeing, Nick? Are yeah, we finally polar opposites? The the opposites are polaring yes. as we speak. Yes. Yeah, I don't like the <laughs> I don't like the horns. I don't like the way those games sound. It's so it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I don't like it. Fair and enough. That's as simple as I can put it. I, I'm no music man. I either hear a song and I go, me like, or I hear a song and I go, me no like. Honestly, though, sometimes when it comes to music, because it's so subjective, I think you kind of have to go monkey brain. Yeah. 
and it's just either I bob my head very hard while I eat my banana or I fling my shit at the wall because I don't like the sounds. There's some good songs in Gen 3. I like the, um, mostly the remixes from Kanto. Yeah. I don't really like the original music that much. Like, I rem- I recognize it and I remember it, but I don't think it's as good as uh, Gen 1. Yeah. And I just feel like Gen 3, the thing about Gen 3, though, is that I think it was an important step. It was the step into color, for one. Um, and it was the step into just more ambition, if that makes sense. It seemed like the games had more visual flair to them, mm-hmm. which I can appreciate a lot, especially uh, when you look at it as sort of a stepping stone into the fourth generation, which, I mean, that it's the one, man. That's the, I think that's the one that means the most to the both of us. Yeah. Yeah. For, for very similar reasons, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, actually, this is a good time to talk about it. We had a video that we were uh, collaborating on for Gen 4 where we were going to... It was just going to be a critique of the game, but we were both going to kind of tackle different things. Mm-hmm. And we played through the games, got footage of it and everything, and we never did it. Nope. Uh, we put together a skeleton uh, so we so we knew which one we were both working on. But generally, I think I wrote like one paragraph. Wasn't Wasn't much. I could probably find it if I take a look. I think I could find... I think I still have the footage. You said you deleted the footage! I think I still have... I think. Oh my god! Why was my voice cracking? What the fuck, Nick? Because I deleted my footage! Hold on. Do I actually have it or am I lying? No, I'm lying to you. Sorry. Okay, okay. Because you deleted yours and I was like, oh, I guess I should delete mine too. Because if we're going to make it... I was thinking if we're going to make it now, we recorded that footage two years ago. I should probably... I would want to replay the game. (laughs) Oh. But I thought I'd keep the footage anyways, because then I don't have to re-record my playthrough. And then I can be a filthy cheater and speed the game up. Why would you want to speed the game up, Nolan? No reason. There's no no reason. What's wrong with Gen 4 that you would want to speed up Gen 4, Nolan? It's slow. Very, very slow. It's a a slow-moving game. Actually, no. Let me me rephrase that. It is not a slow game. It has very very slow battles and the reason for this is that i guess the way the animations were set with the health bars in gen 4 is that it ticks at the speed at which the number of of health points goes down so i don't know how many per second it goes down at but let's say it goes at one health point per second or we'll say 10 health points per second if you kill a pokemon that has 10 health then it'll take one second for the health bar to deplete but if the pokemon has 100 health then it'll take 10 seconds to deplete. And so if you put a Chansey out on the field and it gets killed, make a sandwich, come back, and you'll still be waiting for five minutes. Or it doesn't get killed, and then it heals itself. Oh, yeah. And so battles were just very, very slow. I think the running speed was a little slow as well. I believe that had to do with just animations. Yeah, and that was remedied by the bike. When Mm When you get the bike, things move a lot faster, I will admit. Uh, and then there's things like when you use a Pokemon to fly somewhere, it has the animation. And I feel like even though that was the, the animation isn't that long, but compared to something like Gen 3 that also had those animations, the problem is that in Gen 3, there isn't a lot slowing you down. But in Gen 4, when there is seemingly a bunch of arbitrary uh, speed bumps, having the animation feels so much more intrusive because it's being stacked on top of everything else. And yeah. I think the worst part about it is that our perception of it is still skewed. Platinum is actually faster than Diamond and Pearl. Yes. Especially yes. the surf animation. Yeah. Oh, Surfing yeah. Surfing was slow in the original. Yeah. But it I was mean, so bad. 
honestly, I think Gen 4 is special because of the world building. Mm-hmm. Something we, we didn't talk about it much, but in Gen 3 and Hoenn, Hoenn had a great legend to it. You know what I mean? Gen 1, you just kind of had Mewtwo at the end. Like, okay. Gen Gen 2, you had a bit more of a legend with the, with the legendary dogs, which, by the way, holy shit, I learned... That they're actually cats. Yeah. I learned that um like about a year ago or something. And if I, I never thought about it. I just thought everyone called them dogs. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that just it blew my mind. We all gaslit each other into thinking they were dogs. And I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, Raikou's a lion. A dog. <laughs> and I didn't think twice about it. Anyways, yeah, the legendary cats, I guess. <laughs> I hate it. Legendary felines, and and then you had the legendary birds, and they there was a bit more of a grander spectacle to the legendaries, and it was it was also during uh, Gen two and three that you saw the arrival of box art legendaries and whatnot. Yeah, but I think the Gen four really took it to the next level. I mean, you had statues of Dialga, Palkia, and giratina you had people who studied these legends and then you had something that anywhere you were in the Sinnoh region you could find to mount coronet's peak you could see it in the distance not physically in the game because it's a top-down thing but the idea was that the spear pillar the top of mount coronet where the world was created where the Sinnoh region was created hangs over the entire town and it has this grasp on it that was felt in the game. And you're learning about the legend and the myth of these Pokemon, These the myth of these mythicals. And that is something that I don't think any other game has captured the same way that Gen 4 did, specifically Platinum. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Platinum instead of Diamond and Pearl because I think, looking back, nobody is going to be playing Diamond and Pearl outside. Well, they are like, now, and just, we'll get yeah, to that yeah, soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone's, if, if you're going to go pla- go back and play Gen 4, you're going to play Platinum. There's no reason to play anything else. And so I, I think Platinum just did a great job of building up the myth of Sinnoh and the myth of these more or less gods. And it really felt like you were going on a grand adventure that was bigger than simply becoming the best. Mm-hmm. And... I- Oh yeah. I hate to interrupt you, but I think uh is Gen 4 the first one to make the I guess for lack of a better term team rocket plot as important as it was? Mm, I I don't want to say so because if I remember correctly Gen 3 Team Magma and Team Aqua were very involved. And and I want to say that Gen 3 was the first to fully introduce that kind of supervillain plot. And actually uh, you know, another thing that Gen 2 did was Team Rocket was very involved in Gen 1, obviously, or not very involved, but relatively involved. And Gen 2 looked at sort of the fallout of Gen 1's events in regards to Team Rocket. And that's expanded upon more in the remake, which I guess we can willfully talk about now since we're at the Gen 4 stage. But in, in the remake, they added a few things where you could find out what happened to Giovanni. And you find out that he sort of disappears after... Team Rocket tries to come back. A lot of the storyline of Gen 2 and, well, Gen 4 is, fuck, Soul Silver and Heart Gold is that Gen, is that, oh my god! Words, <laughs> words, words, holy shit! Okay, um, god. Is that Team Rocket is trying to come back and they're trying to find Giovanni because Giovanni was their leader and they're like, we need our guy back. And eventually, you more or less encounter Giovanni and he disappears. And this is kind of messed up, alright? He disappears 
by leaving an area that was behind a waterfall or something like that, or he was on top of a waterfall, and you don't see him leave, but you hear a splash after he leaves, and people have theorized that Giovanni kills himself. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, no lie. It's wild. You know, I might be missing a few details there, but I, that is a theory I've seen before. And that one seems like it actually has some merit to it, honestly. You know, can we, like, derail for a second and talk about creepy Pokemon theories? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, like, we never wrote this down on the um, our topic list, but I, <laughs> you mentioning that just reminded me of all, like, the shit I've read online. Remember when people, like, would say that you killed Gary's Raticade? Oh, yeah. There was, like, the, the whole ghost girl in uh, Lavender Town. Oh, man. I remember the first time I was ever, like, really scared of a video game was uh, in Gen 5. Well, we're going to jump around generations a little bit, but in Gen 5, there was a specific building. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in real close because I want you guys to get scared. There was a specific building in the Kalos region where you'd walk into it and you'd go up an elevator. And when you enter the room, a ghost girl who's all purple and black will float towards you. No walking animation will just float towards you, look at you, and say, you are not the one, and then float away. <laughs> and when I tell you, this shit had me <laughs> shaking in my boots. Scary stuff. Or when you're in the Pokemon Mansion in Platinum, if you walk into a room, you can see the other rooms that are next to it, and you just see a little girl sprite. Again, no walking animation. Just float, float down. And the game calls no attention to it. Or you'll see eyes on a poster, on a picture, following you. When I tell you, existential dread was <laughs> filling my body. This was like some Sonic.exe shit, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's probably why Pokemon was always so popular for creepypastas when those were like a huge thing. Well, because like, do you know about Hypno, right? Yeah. Hyp Hypno and Drowsy? Yeah. They kidnap kids. What's the balloon in... Uh... Drift Platinum? Drifloom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, that thing actually kidnaps kids. Little kids grab onto it thinking it's a balloon, and they get kidnapped and out fucking eaten or something? I don't know. It's scary. <laughs> and what's wild is you can just capture him, and he's on your team. And it's like, my guy, he could take you. You're 11. That's, that's scary. I think one of the, um, the coolest details that you told me about was uh, about Absol. Oh, this is like one of my favorite Pokemon, like, fun facts. I love this. Tell it. So Nolan told me that apparently in Absol's Pokemon Pokedex description, is this right? Like, tell me if this is right. Where if he shows up, that means something like a huge calamity is about to happen. Yeah, so in his... In Pokemon lore, he's the disaster Pokemon. Basically, he lives on top of Spear Pillar in, in the Sinnoh context, and he only comes down when something really bad is about to happen. And this is something I heard online, but I wasn't able to prove it. Apparently, well, I couldn't prove it in the remakes, but I knew I know that it happens in, in Platinum. As you head up to the Spear Pillar during like sort of the climax of the Team Rocket stuff, you can actually catch an Absol there pretty far down the mountain. And what that's telling you is Absol knows something bad's about to go down <laughs> and he's trying to warn you. He's trying to say, get ready. A fucking disaster is about to hit. And that's before, you know, Giratina shows up. I don't know, like merges the world with like the underworld and shit. It's crazy. One sec. Sorry, no lie. Um, We've been talking about like creepy theories and I just had to turn my light on because I'm getting scared. <laughs> Despite this being like a kid's game, nothing creeps me out more than Pokemon. Because <laughs> like, dude, Absol? Oh my god. That's, uh, 
This shit gives me shivers, man. Or like Driftblim, Hypno. Oh my god. And some of the creepypastas, some of the lore, dude, is just terrifying. It's awful. Is that uh, scarier or less scary than Garatina's unironic jump scare? That jump scare scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. No lie. It still <laughs> does, actually. It still scares me. <laughs> it's like Lego Venom from Lego Marvel. Oh my god. Lego Venom and Lego Marvel. What a piece of shit. <laughs> I was playing a this. I was playing Lego Marvel Super Heroes One, having a great time. Venom shows up and he goes bah, and he jump scares the camera. And it's <laughs> scared cat. Sca- yeah, <laughs> scared cat. <Bah. laughs> but yeah, Lego Ven- Lego Venom was was an asshole. Yeah, but there's so many cool. And by the way, that Ghost Girl shows up in Sun and Moon as well. Like, and nobody knows what it's about. It's crazy, crazy. And so it spawns all these really cool theories. And that's one of the coolest parts about Pokemon is sort of this playground theory thing. And something we haven't talked about, and this is one that will not scare some people, is the idea of shiny Pokemon. When I was a kid, I had no idea what a shiny was. And this kid, Alex, that, you know, uh, went to my school, he was telling me, he's like, hey, do you know what a shiny Pokemon is? And I thought, no, what? what's that? And he says, it's a Pokemon that's a different color than usual. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem very neat. I don't really care if my Pokemon's a different color. And he'd say, no, but they're so rare. And I did not find one. To my knowledge, I did not find one until I was, I can't remember if it was, when did, what year did Pokemon Let's Go come out? 2018? It was not until I was 18 years old that I found my first shiny. And stuff like that is crazy. Or like this this guy, Alex, honestly, he was... Without him, I don't think I'd be a big Pokemon fan because he made it so much fun for me. He told me about this thing called Pokerus. I, I still don't know if that's real or not. <laughs> it is. It is real. Genuinely. He's like, yeah, there's this disease your Pokemon can catch and it just makes them super, super strong. I was like, really? Yeah, dude. You want your Pokemon to get Pokerus for sure. I'd be like, wow, and I go home and it's ne- it's never happened to me and it never will. I don't even know how it happens. It is a one. It, it just happens at random when you catch a Pokemon, I believe, but it's like a one in 40,000 chance. Like it's crazy high, but yeah, that kind of stuff is wild. You know, this leads back to Gen 4 because Gen 4 started that, I think, mythical age of Pokemon where... I mean, going to the distortion world was just so out of left field, more or less. And it really made Pokemon into this almost ethereal, existential story. And I think that, and it showed that not only is there wonder in this world, but there is also horror in the world. You know, Dialga and Palkia, they're they're crazy cool because you're like, wow, they have, they control time and space and they're like gods. But you can't have God without the devil. And that's what fucking Garatina is. And I think this actually comes to... There's a greater dichotomy when looking at Cresselia and Darkrai. You go into um, Canalave City and you enter this random home. And there's a boy who hasn't woken up from a terrible nightmare. And it's been days or something like that. And the parents are freaking out. They're like, what are we supposed to do? And so you, you know, the 11-year-old, say, I'm going to go to this island and try and get a feather from Cresselia. And Cresselia... Cresselia's feather can basically cure this nightmare thing. Mm-hmm. And you go there, you talk to Cresselia, it goes, and it drops a feather and then it disappears. And you help the boy. And then the, the boy's like, oh, thank you. You're the best. And then you kind of hear this conversation from the parents saying that it might have been Darkrai. Now, keep in mind, if you're unfamiliar with this kind of stuff, this is crazy. In Gen 4, if you're unfamiliar with this, you're like, what's Darkrai? And Darkrai is the, let's go, polar opposite of 
Cresselia. And so with a mystery gift, and we can talk about mystery gifts after, but with a with a mystery gift, you can enter this this room that, according to the townspeople, has been abandoned for decades. Or not this room, this house. You enter this house, and this guy basically says, hey, we've been expecting you. Take a seat. And you pass out. And you wake up in a nightmare with Darkrai, the nightmare Pokemon, who feeds off people's nightmares. And then, of course, because you're like a child or whatever, you catch him with no fear and whatever. But it's just crazy that it's like you have basically Freddy Krueger in Pokemon form, and then you have Cresselia, and what's wild is you have people working for Darkrai. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, when you leave this room, you can't go back in. Yeah, it's like locked forever. Super creepy. And I think this all comes to a head when you get... And, and there are some other mythical, wonderful aspects, like you encounter Shaman. You walk down this long path of flowers. It's very beautiful, very lush. I love that. But then you come across something a little weird. You get a mystery gift called the Azure Flute. And it says, hey, you should play this at the Spirit Pillar. And you're like, hmm, okay. Head up to the Spirit Pillar. You see Absol along the way because he's about to tell you the rapture's coming. <laughs> and you go up to Spirit Pillar, you play the flute, and a golden staircase appears in front of you. You walk up this staircase, and what do you see staring back at you at the top of this hall called the Hall of Origin? On top of the Spirit Pillar, the origin of the region, if not the entire universe? Fucking God. You see Arceus, Arceus, whatever, staring down at you. And most legendary encounters are kind of out of your control. Dialga and Palkia, you just sort of get forced into fighting them. Giratina, you're in a position where Cynthia's like, oh yeah, Giratina wants you to challenge him, but you can't leave. Mm -hmm. Arceus just waits. He says, you want this challenge? Come get it. And when you do, the screen. Normally, there's a big theme that plays when the screen, screen kind of goes blurry and it zooms in and whatnot. It's a special transition for legendaries. And normally, when that happens... You have this cool music. It's like, do no, 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 don't, 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 Right, Nick? Like, you played it as a kid, right? Yeah. I, I played it with an action replay, and I believe, um... I think I think we should talk about the elephant in the room. How about that? Uh, what, the mystery gifts? Yeah. Yeah. But, so, but quickly, quickly. How did you feel about the Arceus fight? It is the coolest fucking thing they ever did in those games. Like In any Pokemon game. In any Pokemon game. Like, as a kid, it just felt uneasy. And like, it felt real. It felt kind of intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Because he's, it like, was. level 80. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That, is, that is probably the strongest encounter in the game. But even the music itself was just daunting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. All that content Nolan just talked about. Almost all of it. I think the Cresselia thing you can do normally. Cresselia thing is vanilla, yeah. Yeah. All that... Darkrai stuff, Shaman, that was tied to what's called Mystery Gift. And in case you don't know what Mystery Gift is, at a certain point in the game, you can talk to a guy and you can give him, like, I guess a passcode and, and it unlocks yeah. an option in the main menu called Mystery Gift. And what this did was it would connect your DS to the internet. Mm -hmm. And at certain points that were handed out, like, online, 
if you went to Mystery Gift, you could download an item to your game. And mm-hmm. those items were the keys needed to get uh, those optional pieces of content, the bonus stuff. Yeah. However, this Azure Flute, for the coolest fucking thing in the universe... The coolest thing Pokemon has ever done to date. Something that is rad as hell was never released. It never came out. And the only way you could get it, for the longest time anyways, there's a way to get it now, was to use a cheating device to put it in your inventory. Yeah. And (laughs) now this has been a thing for so many games and it is still going on today. And the reason why this is a problem is because this content without cheating is lost. Yeah, it's gone. Like, you're never going to get it. You are never going to get it without cheating now. Oh, uh, but here's the thing. The content is on the game. Yeah, it's in the game. You just can't by any feasible means or any um, vanilla means get to it. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) what's even funnier is that the Arceus stuff is in the Gen 4, the Gen 2 remakes too. Like, if you had an Arceus, you can do another event in the Gen 2 remakes. And that event was so cool. Yeah. And if you don't have it, as in most people because they never released the event, you can't do it. For reference, Arceus literally makes one of the legendaries. You can choose. Do you wanna do you want him to make Palkia, Dialga, or Giratina? And there's a cutscene that plays where he he creates life. I mean he is God, but like, yeah, he creates it and you just won't see that. Yeah. And what's special about these ones is that they're level one, yeah. which means you can train them. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, I honestly, mystery gifts are just a disappointment. It is so stupid that you can't do it anymore. And the only thing I could understand is, you know, what a lot of games do is they'll say if you, you know, for a comparison, if you pre-order, you get this DLC early or something like that. I think it'd be cool if during the first year of po- of a new Pokemon game's release, they do these mystery events. But then after that first year, everyone just gets it. it, it it's something like... They put the item in the game at the end of like Victory Road or something like that to make sure that you complete the Elite Four before you jump into it. But yeah, it's um, it's not like that at all. Yeah, now we just have all this content that's missing. To jump to Gen 5 for a section for a moment, there's there was a psychic and fire type they handed out when the game first came out. You can't get them anymore. You want to know something depressing? Well, you know that uh, and I don't like the new way that they're doing it either. Because the new way that they're doing it is, you want to know how to get Arceus in the remake, or how to get the Azure Flute? How do you get it? You have to near 100% complete Pokemon Arceus, Pokemon Legends Arceus. And so it's like, now, in order to get the coolest thing Pokemon has ever done in remake form, you have to then play a completely different game, buy and play a game to near completion. And I think that's fucking awful. I think that's a horrible, horrible, horrible way of doing it. It's yeah, anti-consumer like, and it's just like, what are we doing? Dude, Let's Go even did something like that again to jump ahead. Like, you could only get Mew by buying a fucking controller. Oh, yeah, $50 controller and it sucked. And it was never used again. And Let's Go has bad controls already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, don't, I didn't mind Let's Go's controls. I don't know, man. Throwing the Pokeball. I don't know, man. I thought it felt good. That and like, I like the, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah, yeah, I, I get what you mean. It, it's bad that they I'm, blocked it off. Yeah, I'm, I'm riled up. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait to talk about it. So following the theme of Gen 4 containing a lot of legendaries or a lot of like myths and whatnot, it also had the most legendaries, I think out of any generation. I think it does. Because Platinum had Dialga, Palkia, Giratina, Shaman, Cresselia, Darkrai, Arceus, and the Lake, the lake Trio, Heatran and i 
think I'm missing. I think one. It, did it have the birds? Like yep, as it in had like the birds. Vol- Moltres, Articuno, had the Zapdos? birds. Had Regigigas, but you yeah. had to do some. You had to catch the Regitrio Trio in Gen three before you could do it. Um, which is a whole another thing. I don't really feel like getting into it because that that's still doable. Yeah. Um, the and then I think there was a Manaphy egg that you could get. Like a mystery gift Manaphy egg. I think that was the case, but I think that Manaphy egg, you have to play... Oh, dude, I, no, I think they've been doing it longer than we think. Because I think you have to play Pokemon Ranger to get that. I can't remember. I think you might be right. I might be I, I might be misremembering, but I, I remember that egg being associated with that game. I don't know oh, why. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, so they had a lot of legendaries, and then all of the legendaries just mentioned, I think minus the Lake Trio, were present in uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Plus, they had Rayquaza, um, the birds, the cats. Um, I don't remember if they had Kyogre and uh, Lava Man. I can't remember his name. Gr- or Groudon? Um, yeah, I don't Groudon know if and... they had him. Yeah, I don't quite remember. But either way, the, the games had a ton of legendaries, which I think is really cool. And something I wish we saw more of. Because these legendaries had events tied to them. And mm-hmm. so... When we move on later on, you'll see that in the Gen 3 remake, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, the legendaries didn't have events. Um, you could just catch Palkia. You would like fly into a portal and he would just be there. Yeah, it was uh, kind of lame. That was, I would say, one of the biggest disappointing flaws of that game. And we'll talk about the other one, but let's go back to Gen 4 and round it off by saying that once again, Soul Silver and Heart Gold had an amazing post game. Uh, you had a now fully realized Kanto in the fourth generation along with a fully realized fight against Red. And I think it's all great. And then in Gen 4, you had the Battle Frontier, which was very popular, and they actually had that in Gen 3, um, but they brought it back again in Gen 4. And there was a whole post uh, side thing with Barry and his father, which, uh, Nick, I actually know you have some strong opinions on. Yeah, I think um, Barry is probably one of my favorite rivals, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. people always like say, oh, he's he's just obnoxious. He's just a little kid who's too excited all the time. And I think that, bro, he's <laughs> eleven. What, what what's he supposed? First to First of all, he's a kid, like actually a kid. But I like that his sort of character is less about him learning a lesson, like to become a better person, as in like he has a flaw that makes him not as likable and he becomes more likable. Mm-hmm. He learns to reel himself back and not be so headstrong. Yeah. Like, kind of recognizing, okay, this is out of my league. I can't do this. Like, I'm only going to cause more trouble. And yeah. I like that he talks about his father a lot in the original game, but Platinum actually decided to follow up on that and put a whole side quest surrounding his father in the post game. Now, its quality is up for debate. I honestly don't remember that much about it. And that oh, might I remember say- you not liking it very much, though. Is that correct? Mm, it's been so long that I don't quite remember. Oh, uh, well, I, I, I remember, if if I remember correctly, it was this idea that his dad, turns out, is actually, like, a crazy good trainer, and he sort of uh, just idolizes his dad and just says, like, oh, dad, you're here, but he doesn't really do much with it. Like, they don't do much with... with oh, right, yeah. Him. I remember, because I, I wanted them to do more with it, but they didn't. Yeah, it just doesn't really go anywhere. And, you know... this is something we should talk about now the series often gets criticisms for its story in cases like that where it's like i wanted to do more with the father son story and there there was more that they could have said but the often rebuttal is it's just a kid's game 
Alana, what do, you, what do you think about that rebuttal? I don't like that rebuttal at all. I think it's just a shield for criticism, to be honest. I think in some areas it works, and I think in some areas you can easily excuse something because it's a kid's game. I The reason why I feel this way is because the game that came after Gen 4 has a pretty good fucking story. Yep. Well, I, I just think that, you know, for example, every Pokemon game, despite that we're past 10 of them now, has included a very relatively in-depth... Uh, sorry, I realize I'm facing the wrong way, so I'm going to continue facing my microphone and not be a monkey. They, they've had an in-depth tutorial on how to catch Pokemon, and I don't think I've seen anyone criticize this, like any major criticisms of it, but some people will say, oh, well, that's so unnecessary. Everyone knows how to play already, or like, why do you got to make it so long? And to me, I write that off as it being just a kid's game because there's a good chance that a child is getting into it for the first time and they just don't really know any better. And if you're an adult, well, ah, whatever, just it's five minutes, you know, um, or things like I'm OK with Pokemon not having a high stakes or having a simplistic story. I'm not asking for Pokemon. Well, look, when what Gen 5 did was really cool, but I'm not asking for that because those are rather adult themes that I don't know if a child could fully grasp. I know when I first played Gen 5, I didn't fully grasp it. It wasn't until I replayed it years later that I was like, wow, this is like a very mature story. But I guess before we dive headfirst into that, Nick, uh, what do you have any closing thoughts on Gen 4? Um, I like Gen 4 a lot. I think it is probably the only Pokemon game I actively like to revisit. Mm-hmm. I think Gen 5 is also good, but I prefer Gen 4 personally. And nostalgia is one hell of a drug, but I don't think feeling nostalgic for something means that anything you say is suddenly invalid. Yeah. I would just say that I, I, I think Gen 4 is the best Pokemon generation thus far. I think it has it, it still not been topped. I, I think it does have a really cool world. It has great world building. They great use end game. The, they use the actual Pokemon themselves in an interesting way for the world. Yep. And I don't think any other game has done it to the same effect. I was going to say, because you could say the Gen 3 did that a little bit, but I don't think they did it to the same extent. Yeah. And I feel like Gen 4 has peaked. That's where, that's where the series has peaked. Now, that's not to say Gen 5 isn't great, because we can now move forward. Gen 5 is great generation. Mm -hmm. I like that Gen 5 has completely new Pokemon until the postgame, and those new Pokemon are really good. Gen 5 is when I started seeing a lot of people saying, oh, they're running out of ideas. They have an ice cream Pokemon. They have a, they have a garbage Pokemon. They have a Pokemon that's a chandelier. And if anyone doesn't think Chandelure is cute, you're just being an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, to be fair, one of the first Pokemon ever is just a rat. Yeah, or like <laughs> a pigeon. <laughs> or, I don't know, like one's just, uh, Rhydon is just flat out a rhino. <laughs> like, there's nothing about him that's unique, aside from maybe he stands on two legs. Or like, yeah, like there, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think the whole running out of ideas thing is whack. Anyways, <laughs> Gen 5 told a mature story. And I, I want to let you talk about that for a bit. I think the coolest part about Gen 5 is that it has an antagonist that is the antithesis of the series. N is a character who hates the idea of capturing Pokemon. And I think that makes him a great, like, mirror of your character. Like, the entire point is that you want to catch Pokemon to, like, form a bond with them. But he doesn't feel the same way. He thinks that it's wrong to force them to do that. And he hates that you that people are forcing them to fight each other for, like, sport. And I think that is so fucking interesting and cool. 
and is probably one of the most nuanced characters in the series, but then it gets squashed out by Getsus. Yeah. And yeah. I hate that so much, because if N was, it like, for those who don't know, I don't remember when this happens in the game specifically, but it's revealed that N was raised by this guy, and that his mindset was mostly implanted by him, because he wanted to manipulate him. Yeah. And I think that makes that takes away all of his agency and makes him a weaker character than he could have been. Yeah, because it, 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 it makes him a pawn. Yeah. And it, make, and it makes him a pawn of a far less interesting villain. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It sucks so much because it was so close to being great. And, you know, building off of that, I think they actually go somewhere with that argument. They Well, they don't. When I say go somewhere, is that they actually explore it. Mm-hmm. Because realistically, your Pokemon eventually liking you after training is them just developing Stockholm Syndrome. It's not a proper bond. It is like you've trapped someone and now they, I guess they just suddenly like you. And they're like, well, you'll never let me go, but I guess I'm just going to have to enjoy it because I have nowhere else to go. And I mean, an obvious rebuttal to that is, you know, there's some situations, especially in the anime where... Uh, Pikachu can choose very much so to not be cooperative and we've Mm -hmm. seen him do that Uh, or there's things like if you compare it to real life would you say that having a dog as a pet is inhumane because the alternative is they get left in the wild and they probably die you know you take a Pokemon you're taking it out of the streets because here's the other thing Uh, and, and I don't know if the game touches on this but if a wild Pokemon faints in the forest nobody's coming around to heal it that bitch is dead. <laughs> uh, no, so, I don't think it does. And so, I mean, if you if you capture a Pokemon and you train it, you give it, one, you give it a purpose. Two, you give it friendship and everlasting love, assuming you're not an asshole. And that includes a ton of Puffins. It's also described uh, in the lore that the Pokeball is, like, very comforting for the Pokemon. Um, so you're giving them that sort of tranquility, which is great. And four, you're sort of saving them from that, I guess, that... that feral life Mm -hmm. and you're and you're more or less domesticating them and giving them and allowing them to experience the pleasures of human life but i don't know if maybe that is i don't know if that's a perfect rebuttal at all but that i think that's why the argument is so interesting because there's so many different points of view you can approach it from and Mm -hmm. n actually takes a relatively nuanced approach yeah but i think what kind of sucks is that this is the only time where they uh, when I say they, I mean Game Freak, really tried to explore the concept of their... Like, explore the concept of their game beyond just, this is the premise of the game, have fun. And it more so asks, but is this, like, good for the Pokemon themselves? Yeah. Which I think is pretty interesting for a kid's game. I agree. But I feel like they got cold feet, because even in its sequel, like the Gen 5 Part 2, like Black and White 2, all that sort of dropped. Yeah, I, I I don't remember much of Black and White 2. I remember the one lady's name was Helga, and I think that's one of the ugliest names ever created. No, that, that was I think that was the first one. Oh, was it? <laughs> well, case in point, I don't remember much of the second one. No, it's Hilda. Hilda is her name. Oh, Hilda, The yeah. guy's name is fucking Hilbert. Yeah, Hilbert's also just <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Watch some guy in the comments be like, oh, fuck you guys, my name's Hilbert. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, no, Hilbert. We got our man fucking Hilbert Pennyworth in the comments. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I also like the post game of uh, Gen 5 a lot. You're cleaning up after the events of the first game. 
get to see some legendaries, get to see some completely blocked off parts of the, like half the regions blocked off until the post game. Mm-hmm. Um, that and Gen 5 started a very cool tradition of, well, it didn't start, but it really fully implemented the tradition of gym leaders playing a role outside of being a gym leader. Like they were actual characters and they played parts in the world. You had, yeah. um, I think it was the second gym leader actually comes and saves you from the evil team rocket ripoff this time around team plasma um and, and they actually help you and it's a very it's really cool to see the gym leaders actually be something outside of just uh more or less a, a checkpoint along the way mm-hmm. and i think that it was uh really cool that they did that gen 5 was also the first uh game to not have a remake in a while because gen 3 and 4 had remakes but gen 5 did not and i think that's a good thing because a gen 3 remake already would just not make a lot of sense it was already so recent at the time yeah i just think uh black and white did a did a great job of establishing you know gen 4 established the world i think gen 5 established the ideology Mm -hmm. and i think uh it it should be commended for that and gen 5 is one of those you know somebody says a gen 2 is their favorite pokemon i'm like really or someone says gen 1 i'm like really but somebody says if somebody says gen 4 i like bro fist them and if somebody says Gen 5, I'm like, yeah, respectable. I feel like Gen 5 has got to be one of the top three. Mm-hmm. It's such a good game. And there were great designs for Pokemon, too. You know, say what you want about Vanillax. Like, I get it. But really, I mean, you had a lot of great designs. Like, Zoroark is a great Pokemon. Um, uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to... to I think, think of their designs, but not their names. Fucking Stunfisk? <laughs> Stunfisk. There was, uh, there was, like, the, 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 there was, um, was his Digby, the bunny, and you had Sock and Throw, <laughs> and then you had, what's the, what's the guy with the, the steel beam that he carries around? The strongman? Either way, there were great Pokemon. <laughs> or, is it Totodile? No. No, that's an old one. No, 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 it's a crocodile guy, he has, like, uh, oh, I know who you're talking it's about. Like it's the like sunglasses. A- yeah, it's like the ground type crocodile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sandodile. I don't know. He's cool though. He's those are cool Pokemon designs. And like Braviary, Brave the the, the America bird. Hmm. Um, or I think it was Rufflet was his first uh evolution. But there's like a thousand of these guys. I I don't think anyone can blame me for not remember. Literally names. are a thousand of them, <laughs> and my memory of them gets worse and worse as I go on. But it, it was definitely cool. And then we sort of move forward into Gen 6, which was the move to 3D, officially. You had some 3D things like the uh, Coliseum games, Battle Revolution, yada yada. But It's like the first mainline 3D game. Yeah, and move to the 3DS. And it was kind of mid. Uh, At least, uh, what was uh, Pokemon? Oh, X and Y, that's right. And if that doesn't tell you how, how boring it was, I think... Uh, that will. Now, fun fact, I never finished X and Y, and that is because I got to around the sixth gym, and my save file got corrupted, and I did not bother to go back to it. Very upset, and I, I just had no interest, because up to that point, I think the most interesting thing that it did was it gave you character customization. That is probably the only thing I remember about that game. Gen 6 was on autopilot. Yeah, and I wonder if that's because they knew they were venturing into sort of new territory as far as presentation goes, and so they wanted to just play things safe. Like, they just wanted to... Let's not step out of the box too much, but I think what sucks is that the best Pokemon games are the ones where it steps outside of the box. 
It's the ones where it does something different. Yeah, it's like, I think Gen 6 really lacks much of an identity. Yeah, outside of just being the first 3D one. Yeah, it's the one on the, it's the first 3DS one. And like, there's rollerblades. Wow. I forgot about that. There's, um. <laughs> oh, and you can ride certain Pokemon. Oh, and this was the game that started the, oh, the worst trend is Pikachu. When you throw money, it goes Pika Pika. That's it. Yeah. Uh, oh, but now Eevee comes out and he's like, hey, I'm Eevee. What's up, baby? I don't know how it, what Eevee sounds like, but you get what I mean. This game also has the um, the Gen 1 starters in it. Yeah. Had Mega Evolution, which was a cool idea, I guess. A cool idea, but ultimately executed as nothing more than a gimmick. It's really just a, a power-up that you can use once per battle. And it has now seen multiple iterations where they try to present it like it's different, but it's not. Yeah, it's just the same thing. There's... Most importantly of all, I think, this is the game that made the experience share different. Oh, yeah. And I think this was the first game where I really started to hear the complaint that Pokemon was too easy. Yeah, I think it. I think this is the first time when growing up I thought it was too easy. Yeah. Because the thing with experience share in X and Y was that you could turn it off if you wanted to, but if you had it on, you would become so disgustingly overleveled super quickly well and the idea was to take away the grind not the challenge and so that's what made it hard and hard to turn off as well because it's like i mean why wouldn't you use it i don't know it's, <laughs> it's a blatant advantage why wouldn't you use it it just cuts down on busy work yeah but i think that on top of being boring yeah it was quite easy I maybe mean, that's why it was so boring that's why i don't remember anything from that game all i remember is i think the story was just a it's like some guy who was like a thousand years old or something like that. I don't remember anything of the story. I remember yeah. um, the game gives you a lot of free Pokemon. Yeah, it gives you Lucario with a Mega Stone. Gives yeah, it you gives the... you a starter, a Kanto starter, Lucario. If you got the game when it came out like I did, it gives you a Torchic, which is so overpowered. Oh yeah, the Torchic was busted. <laughs> and there was also, if you used them, you got the Legendary. And then that left one guy really to catch on your own. Which would be your HM slave. Which would either be your HM slave or would just be like some random that you thought was cool. Yeah. Could you catch Mewtwo in that game? I thought you could. Uh, You can. Yeah, he was yeah. post-game. That game had a lame-ass post-game. It, it basically had nothing. It had like it had, Mewtwo and that was it. It had Mewtwo and I think it had like a random roaming legendary. And like, remember when people thought Pokemon Z was going to be a thing? Yeah, it's because it had Zygarde. Yeah. You had Evil Tall and like the deer... And then you had Zygarde. I don't remember the deer's name. I don't remember either. <laughs> Xerneas. I think it was Xerneas. And yeah, it was just overall kind of a boring generation. But the Gen 3 remakes were very good. I never played them. Really? This is, uh, I think it's time to show my hand. This is the part where I started falling out of the series. Also, for me, I, I, fell, off, I fell off after this uh, game. But I did play this extensively. I think I beat it. I don't know if I completed the Pokedex. But I, I did do a majority of the stuff there. So it was actually a remake of Omega Ruby and or it was a remake of Ruby and Sapphire, not Emerald, but had a lot of changes brought over from Emerald and all of the Emerald content where you like, you know, fight Rayquaza and whatnot was brought over in something called the Delta episode, which is like the post game. Mm -hmm. I think that's a cool way of doing it. They make the Emerald stuff the post game. So then and, and I think future remakes should have followed suit. We'll get to that later. It, it was it was really good. I think it, it modernized those games beautifully. It, it we got the legendary too much water review which is a joke that's been uh that's a horse that's been beaten to the bone marrow and i don't have much to say other than it was really fun 
I think balance issues still kind of apply. And with the XP share, I don't remember ever struggling. But they added some stuff with Latios and Latias that wasn't in the original that I found was very interesting. And just overall, very good remake. You know, kind of, it kind of reminded me of Heart Gold and Soul Silver, where it felt like this is just it's just proper. They didn't they didn't do anything weird. They didn't do anything different. They just updated it and it was fine. The only thing was they didn't have the same post game from the original. The original Emeralds had the Battle Frontier and all that, or I think it was called the Battle Maison or something, um, but they didn't have that this time. And furthermore, they actually had in the location where the Battle Frontier was supposed to be, they had a little miniature um, diagram saying like, oh, this Battle Frontier will be coming soon. <laughs> and it never came. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it was definitely an interesting interesting remake. They did stuff pretty well. I think the legendaries weren't handled as well as they were in Heart Gold and Soul Silver because, like I said, you could fly around on Latios and Latias, like in the overworld. It was really, really cool. And you could fly above the mountains and everything, and that was how you fast traveled. You didn't just fly. You, like, manually steered where you wanted to go. It was really cool. That sounds you could pretty steer- cool. You can steer into these portals and it, on the other side, it'd be like, oh, you're on an island and like Giratina's here. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and there wasn't really a cool way of getting them. You just had to either hold a certain item or sometimes you just had to go there on a certain day. And it was pretty lame. Not going to lie. But then we get into Gen 7, which is Sun and Moon and Ultra Sun and Moon. And Nick, what do you think about those games? I played Moon when it first came out because I thought that maybe it was going to be better than X and Y. I put about eight hours into it, mm-hmm. turned it off for the night, and I never came back. I didn't even purchase either of them. Yep, and I did not play Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon at all. I A lot of people seem to like those ones. I was going to say, I heard that both of them were actually pretty solid. From what I remember, they did change things a bit. I think that, that was the first game to get rid of HMs. And they got rid of the basic like fight gym leaders kind of thing. Yeah, they changed it up a bit so you had to fight like an actual boss battle. And I yeah, I don't mean to be so brief, but I, I really have nothing to say on it just because I know I know stuff like the post game was very well liked. You had an arena where you could fight a bunch of previous opponents, including Oh my god, we, we went through all of Gen 4 without talking about Cynthia. <laughs> um you could you could fight the previous champions like Cynthia, who is one, mommy, and two, my favorite champion because of her theme almost alone. And I, I heard that stuff was received really well. But Gen 8, we'll, we'll kind of move ahead because we have nothing to say, let's be honest. And I feel like anything we do say about it is more or less going to be us talking out of our ass because we both haven't played it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, boys. Gen 8, though, that is when we got... um, What was that damn game called? I believe that's Sword and Shield. Yeah, Sword and Shield and Gun. Yeah. Yeah, Sword and Shield was a game. I played that. And I think I have... So did you play that, Nick? Nope. This is... I think this is it. I had officially stopped playing these games at this point. Well, I had played it through and through, and it was... I think it recaptured some of the childlike wonder in me. You know, like, there was this... You had your friend Hop, who was trying to be the champion just like you, but the twist was that Hop had an older brother named Leon, who was the best, and... Yeah. and as Charizard's undefeated. Yes, and they never shut up about it. Like, the whole town, the whole region is like, wow, yeah, Leon's the best, we love him, and yada yada. Which is really weird, because most champions prior, nobody gives a shit about. Like, Cynthia just walks around, and people are like, oh, hey. And I think they do that because they want it to be a big reveal that she's the champion. But, yeah, Leon, you know he's the champion. And I think what I really, honestly, I don't think I like that. 
because there is no surprise. Now, granted, you could guess who the champion is when replaying the games pretty easily, um, or even playing some of the older ones, you can make a pretty good guess at what the champion's going to be. But Leon was only there as a means of having a Twinkie in front of you. Like you, you have a Twinkie on a stick attached to your head and Leon's that Twinkie. Um, Cynthia did stuff in the world. Same with um, the champion of Gen 3. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, N was not the champion, but it, again, N sort of played a, a decent role in the game. I, I still think probably the best one would still, like in terms of that context, probably still blue. Yeah. Your rival throughout the whole game and then he's the final boss. Yeah, like that that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But having Leon there, it's just sort of like, okay, I get it. You're going to be the final fight. And what kind of sucks is that he is. Like, I went into him like, there's no way they're going to make us actually fight him. He's going to be like a post-game thing. <laughs> Somebody else is going to become the champion. And no, this this guy just, he stays there. Um, it, the, the story was fine. It saw um, not Mega Evolution. It was Dynamaxing. And certain Pokemon got Gigantamaxing, which is basically rather... Dynamaxing is when a Pokemon just becomes very big, but Gigantamaxing means they get very big and they change forms. So you have things like Chonkachu, as they called it, a very fat Pikachu, which I find very strange that Pikachu can Gigantamax, but Raichu cannot, I don't believe. And and so certain Pokemon just had their, their forms changed, and I thought that was cool. But much like Mega Evolution, in a competitive or even story context you know that every major fight is going to have a gigantamax pokemon and so it does not become the game changer that they set it out to be because you know everyone has one up their sleeve an ace up someone's sleeve does not work if they're wearing a tank top and so it was just sort of a i know that this I, and the ai always di dynamax their last pokemon and so you're like, okay, well, I know they're going to do that. So I'm going to wait until they throw out their last Pokemon and then I'll Dynamax because I know they're going to do it as well. And so there was no nuance to it. And it, it, visually, it was cool, I'll admit. And I think the gym battles in Sword and Shield were stellar. The music was fantastic. I actually think the music is probably the best gym battle theme we've ever had. And the atmosphere of it was great because it was the first time where you actually were in a stadium and people are like cheering and the music's like, pumping and when you get to a certain part of the fight the crowd starts like chanting they're like, hey 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 and it's, it's so cool like actually like no lie the gym battles are electric in these games but that's where my uh praises stop i guess the character customization was cool as well but the end game fight against the legendary was scripted and so there was no agency the fight against the secret evil boss was about as clear as it could get and yeah and then the post game i actually never did the post game and i never did the dlc because after finishing the game i was just like well i guess that's a game <laughs> but I, I i know there was like a main character the main antagonist of the post game was these two dudes one guy was named Swordword, and the other was named shieldbert oh my god and one guy's hair was in the shape of a sword the other hair was in the shape of a shield that's actually rad it's funny as hell but yeah, they did some cool stuff with the legendary dogs because despite the legendary dogs being on the cover, the legendary was Eternatus, um, or as I called him, Eat Heranus, and it was just like a big hand. And the dogs ended up just coming to help you, and then they just kind of hang around. You can catch them after um, because they, they stay in this place called the Slumbering Weld, and that area of the game is really cool because you can go there early on and get your ass kicked by like level 30 Pokemon. I love that kind of stuff where they, they show you an end game spot and they don't 
explicitly stop you from going in there and discovering whatever you want but they know that there is no chance you'll be a high enough level to to go too far in i think that's a really cool thing the dlc i heard from my girlfriend was very good but i did not care to play them just because i was sort of over sword and shield other new things it did was it added an area called the wild which is basically a really wide open area where you can catch pokemon and that was it. It was more so a way of saying, hey, we're on home consoles now, because this is the first game, first mainline game on the Switch, and it was a means of saying, hey, we're on actual hardware now, so we can do stuff like this. And on paper, it seems really cool. In motion, it was just like, yeah, I guess that's an open area, whatever. Um, but of course, in between the releases of Sun and Moon and Sword and Shield, we had Let's Go. Uh, but before we jump to Let's Go, I just want to say that there was also a problem with the Pokedex, as certain Pokemon were not in the game at all. In Gen 4, 5, 6, whatever you want to call it, you might not be able to catch every Pokemon ever created, but you could at least import every Pokemon, and they would have a sprite or a 3D model. But this was not the case here, and it sucks. Especially because the 3D models in Sword and Shield don't look that great, and the animations are uh, as bare bones as they can be. I believe it is reused from Sun and Moon. Yep. And so you, or not YouTube, <laughs> Nintendo tried to make an excuse saying that, oh, it just took, it takes so long to remake these 3D models. And then data miners were like, bitch, you did not make these. <laughs> They're from like years ago. I don't know, but it's like, here's the thing. I'm fine with not having every single one in the game. There's mm -hmm. a thousand of them. Okay. Yeah. I get that. But at least make the ones you have look better. That's what I mean. If the excuse was legitimate and they... They looked good, and the animations were solid. They could even take out moves. If the animations are solid for the moves that are there, I don't mind at all. I don't. It's not even the fact that it's a Switch game, because Dragon Quest XI is on Switch. Mm -hmm. That game looks so much better, runs much better, and just has more content than Sword and Shield do. And Dragon Quest is a huge thing in Japan. Not, not nearly as big here. So when your competitor is putting out something just that much better in terms of quality, I think anyways, it it really highlights um, just, I guess, how soulless Sword and Shield are. Yeah. Well, that's something that a lot of people pointed out is that Sword and Shield just looked very low effort. I, I, I'm i just, I think it just looks bad. Like, Yeah, I, I agree. I do not think it looks like a good game at all. I think the textures are unbelievably bad. And I think the textures were sacrificed in an attempt to make a, a game that was just bigger. Mm -hmm. Like you had the open wild areas that were really big, but the sacrifice was that the trees looked like shit. But then if we go to something like Let's Go Eevee and Pikachu, which were remakes of the first game, but with different mechanics, the only change really is that you can now catch Pokemon by just running into them. They're not on tiles. You just like walk. They, they roam the overworld. Other changes included slight story changes, nothing of note. And the change was you don't actually fight Pokemon. You just catch them by throwing balls at them. And it was really cool. Yeah, it was definitely trying to attract the uh, Pokemon Go audience. And I think it worked. I think it was fun. I played it. I enjoyed it. I did the post game. There, was, there wasn't much of a post game, but neither did Gen 1 have much of one uh, either. Yeah, but it... that game looked great. Like it wasn't, okay. It wasn't amazing, but it looked good. And I thought if this is the future of Pokemon, I'm here for it. And I'm okay with where Sword and Shield is going, but I think on the current hardware, har <sighs> on the current hardware, if they cannot achieve proper graphics and trees that don't look like they're from the PS1 era, don't bother. Um, just make something like Let's Go that's a little more linear and that just looks 
better because Pokemon games have always been linear. We don't need it to be anything wider, I don't think. But then we move on to the final Pokemon release as of right now. Not the final, but the, the most recent. And that is Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. So the Gen 4 remake. What do you feel about it, Nick? Oh boy. Okay. I don't I don't think I've ever been as let down <laughs> as as I was here in a very long time. Because to put it into context, for many years, Nolan and I wanted a remake of Platinum because yeah. they were already remaking the games. And Platinum was next. Gen 4 was next. And him and I were always talking about it. Like, man, I can't wait for them to get to this. It's going to be great. Because at the time, they were always modeling the remakes after the current generation. And we had said, it's an easy layup. All they have to do is just change nothing. Just remake the game, top to bottom. Yeah, I already like the game. If you just want to remake it, remake it. Just make sure to include the mystery gift events. So we don't have to like worry about losing them again. Yeah, which previous games up to this point, I believe, did. Did they? I don't quite yeah. remember. Yeah, because like in um, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, there were certain events that you could uh, achieve without mystery gifts, I believe. But I, oh no, they didn't have mystery gifts in Gen Three. I, no, they did. I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm yeah, just sorry. Keep going. Anyways, I guess my wish uh, curled a finger on the monkey's paw because we got those remakes, and oh my god, and they were faithful. As they we were wanted. faithful, all right, but not faithful to the version I wanted. Instead of remaking Platinum, they instead remade Diamond and Pearl specifically. And they gave it a new art style. And overall, I would argue they just made the games worse. So I want to start off by saying I think the art style is really good. I think it's fine. I think environments look fine. I don't like the characters. I think the characters look cute as hell. I love it. I'm there for it. Whatever. Subjective. It's, it's yeah, whatever. It's visuals. Yeah. Um, uh, I can at least say the game runs well enough. It is broken. Like there are so many glitches in the game, it's not even funny. I'm so I I'm as so I've watched a lot of videos on this game, and I'm blown away that throughout my playthrough, which Nick watched a very large majority of, I did not encounter any bugs. I think that like blows my mind. I think I got really lucky. Yeah, there's uh they remade everything uh pretty faithfully, but I don't know why they didn't include the platinum stuff. And the reason I wasn't initially worried when we saw the trailer was one, I was just kind of caught up in the hype, but two, I thought. Well, they're just going to do like a Delta episode where they have Giratina, which I think is actually better than simply remaking Emerald. Remake Ruby and Sapphire, but then make the have the Emerald stuff in there as well with the major plot points being left to the post game. I think that's great, but they didn't uh, do that at all. They, oh. just, they just left it out. And since we talked about it, the mystery gifts are back and they're still mystery gifts. Mm -hmm. And Arceus is now tied to having to play another game, which I think is horse shit. And yeah, it, it, honestly, there isn't much to say aside from I look, I'm going to be honest with you. I believe that the game was rushed. I saw a lot of great videos explaining why it was rushed. I believe that the game is a shitty remake because it actively remade a bad version or not a bad version, but a worse version of Platinum. The, why you would make anything other than Platinum is beyond me. I guess actually the only reason is so they could sell two copies and because it's less content to remake and it is lazy unpolished unrefined it's awful but i do love it it brought me back to my childhood it capitalized on that nostalgia and i was fucking euphoric playing through that now am i gonna say it's a good remake no 
artistically like visually yeah i think i think the remake visually is great i think uh the new models are amazing i'll stand by that i'll i'll take that to the grave but uh i do think it is otherwise a bad remake but i do love it dearly because it has been a it is very rare that i find myself being brought back to that childlike wonder um and that game did it for me so is what it is but it was funny uh first playing the game where i am like grinning ear to ear for hours straight and nick is like the old man just pissed off at the world i felt i felt so i guess bitter towards it yeah like i i what what i saw was not impressing me and like you want to talk about polar opposites yeah that was it (laughs) nolan was having the time of his life i was so happy and i was like nick what do you think about this (laughs) it's like I like I don't I think the art style isn't that bad, but I still prefer the way the original game looks as a whole. Oh, the new music I think is like way better though. I haven't listened to the soundtrack that much. The new music is good. I, I I think it's great, and that was one of the things I was uh, mostly looking forward to. Yeah, I can see it being a very underwhelming game, remake, whatever you want to call and it. And I think that has finally set like the nail in the coffin for me. I think I I, I think I'm done with the series personally. Yeah, Legends Arceus was a cool departure um and i i just kind of hope that they keep trying new ideas that was more focused on catching than it was battling and i haven't finished it yet but from what i have played i i've liked it but you have not played it yeah i i haven't played it and i'm not interested like they announced the new generation kind of recently like a few months ago yeah scarlet and violet like i'm glad if people are looking forward to it i'm i'm just not anymore I feel like I've sort of moved on to, like, different RPGs, and I think that's kind of sad in a way. Uh, Of course, because it's me, I have to bring it up. SMT has become what I wanted Pokemon to be. Not in terms of stylistic uh, choices, like tone and such, but I think that it takes the monster-capturing sort of gameplay and does way more interesting things with it. SMT 5 is a far more ambitious game than Sword and Shield were. And it looks so much better. It runs so much better. It it, ma- it makes the correct sacrifices in terms of like like demon count just to give them all unique animations and they make the animations look good. There's so much polish to it. And then I look at Pokemon and I, I just don't feel like there's any passion going into it. It just feels like they're pressing a button and having it get churned out every few years. Yeah. And, and that's what it feels like. It just feels like a Call of Duty yearly release that they don't even want to make, but they kind of have to thing. And not to get too much into like the fan base sort of aspect of it, but <laughs> there's almost like a sort of abrasiveness to people who criticize the games. Yeah. Like you're not allowed to say anything bad about it. And then like people who do have issues, they'll say, I think the worst phrase I ever hear is like, oh, I'll only buy one version instead of both of them. And I don't know. I feel like it's just rewarding still laziness because those games sell so many copies still yeah i don't have a problem with the two releases as long as they aren't too different because in most games if you buy one version you can catch the box art legendary of the other version and and as long as it's just a difference of like oh you can only catch like two exclusive pokemon in one version i don't think it's a big deal yeah but it's like there's people who just buy both and only play one anyways that i find kind of weird yeah but you know teach their own it's like how Disney holds people's childhoods like captive in like remaking old movies and just making them worse. Yeah, Lion King. Yeah, they remake Lion King, they remake Beauty and the Beast, and they just make them worse movies, and they pretend like they're better than they are, and say like, 
oh, 2D hand-drawn animation is, like, not animation anymore. Sorry, it's for kids. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then there's, like, Pokemon where it's, like, let's put in the slightest amount of effort, try to do something a bit more ambitious, and then you get, like, Wojak, like, pointing meme. It's so disheartening to see that something I used to love growing up is now, like, something I don't care about anymore. Maybe that's, like, part of growing up, but, like, I think it has something to do with its quality. I don't think it does have to do with growing up, just because I still go back and play the older games, and I still love them, and it still feels fills me with that nostalgia. And even games I didn't have nostalgia for growing up, like Fire Red, played that when I was 15, 16, and I still loved it, thought it was great. And yeah, so I mean, one of our topics that we have on our list here is, are have the games gotten worse? And I think they have. I think they have. Or I think they've at least become stagnant. It's so consistently just 5 out of 10 after 5 out of 10 if we had to put numbers on it, that it's like, it's just boring and uninteresting. And I think there's only one thing worse than a bad game, and that's a boring game. And I think the last, like, new Pokemon game I finished was X and Y back in 2013, because I can't, I never finished Let's Go. I just don't feel interested. But that that's more so a case of it not really being for me, because it's obviously targeted towards the people who enjoyed the mobile games. Mm-hmm. But I don't care to finish Sun and Moon. I don't even care to play Sword and Shield, and I'm... <laughs> I feel the same way about uh, Scarlet, Scarlet and Violet. Are those the two? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm still going to play Scarlet and Violet just uh, for a hope that it'll return to its roots, but I'm not looking forward to it. It really says something that I'm like more so always looking forward to the next Sonic game, despite them constantly being me- uh, like mediocre for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's just because they do something new. Yeah. They try new shit. And I mean... The series needs to evolve. I don't know how. I had an idea the other day, because one thing we always mention when it comes to Pokemon is that it's too easy, and Sword and Shield is easy as fuck, too. But I think a cool thing that they should do is that they should remove Pokemon levels altogether and make it so that you go through a region and you have to catch different Pokemon per for uh, a town or whatever, for an area, and use those Pokemon to fight the current gym. Make the gym really hard. And make it and make it the player's job to find the right Pokemon for that gym. Each Pokemon has a certain move, so you can't train them, you can't do nothing. And so the reason I say do this is because then the game can implement some actual balance. There's no grinding to make things easier or EXP share to make things out of whack or something like that. And so say the first gym is a rock gym, make sure there is a lake nearby with a fishing rod so that you can catch a, a sea bass or something to use in that gym. Or you can give Pokemon levels, but say that they will not level up. So then when you get to a new gym, you have to do the cycle all over again. You got to find a team, find a comp that works for you, find certain Pokemon that have whatever, approach the gym, yada, yada. I think that would be, and, and that would evolve the series a little bit too, or at least remix it in an interesting way. Like I think that would be cool, but I can't help but feel as though that idea would kind of go against something that it seems as though the series wants to enforce. And that being, like, the bond between you and your team itself. Oh, yeah, that's true. Where someone's like, I don't want to use that. I want to stick to my favorite guy. I don't want to get rid of my Raichu or my Vaporeon or my fucking Stunfisk. Then I guess a better fix would maybe make the gym leader scale to your level. Like, regardless. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's... The series is just... I don't know. I feel I'm so indifferent at this point. I don't yeah. care. Well, you remember what I said a few episodes ago, what's worse than being loved is being hated. And what's worse than being hated is when you're indifferent, when yeah. someone's indifferent on you. Yeah. I, so I guess my closing thoughts are I'm a little sad that the series has gone to this point. I feel like 
I'm stuck in this loop or stuck in this thought process of I don't know if the series has gotten worse or if I'm just becoming a, a cynical adult now. But I, I'm more inclined to say that I think the series is getting worse. Mm-hmm. And I am, as of right now, not looking forward to the Gen 5 remake that will inevitably come in a few years. Oh my god, they're gonna make it worse. <laughs> they will. <laughs> Cut out all the post-game. Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're gonna they're gonna fuck it up. Uh, those are all my thoughts. If you guys have any opinions or thoughts, feel free to leave them in the comments, or you can tweet it at us on Twitter, at ThatBoyAqua, at NamsCompendium, or use hashtag PolarOpposites. And yeah, this was a trip down memory lane, and honestly, I feel like we're kind of ending on a bit of a somber note. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. At least right now, anyways, I hope that this series gets better in the future. But the way things are currently, the best thing I can say about Pokemon is that I can use it as a great example to advertise other games to play. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's a good entry point. You could say that. I will always appreciate the times, that the good times I had with it. Oh yeah, same. It introduced me to RPGs as a genre, and I don't think if I didn't play those games, I wouldn't have played like other Nintendo RPGs, like their Mario and Luigi series. Then I probably wouldn't have played Atlas games or Square games. But for me, I think Pokemon is better left as a as a childhood memory. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm depressed now. Thanks so much for listening, guys. It's been an excellent episode. Nick, thank you for joining me once again. Yes, it was great. It's always a pleasure talking to you. That's why we're going to do it later tonight when we play Fall Guys. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. All right, let's go. I'm happy again. I forgot we're playing Fall Guys tonight. Woo! All right. Thank you guys for listening, Nick. Do you have anything else you want to say? Um, no. All right. In which case, take care, boys. Thank you for listening.